This morning, I'm excited about this word that I have to bring. Um, it's one of my favorite messages yet, <laughs> and and we're just getting started with it right here in the covenant ser- this covenant advantage series. Now, of course, we have God swears to keep His promises in the small group, but I'm not teaching the same thing that's in the small group series. They go together and complement one another. But if you want to get the full the full uh, Monty, everything that God is wanting to say to us. Uh, continue to be part of our Sunday mornings or Saturday nights, by the way, or the and the small group series as well. Uh, covenant advantage. You have a covenant with God that gives you an advantage that not everybody else has. You are not on your own. You are not trying to figure out life on your own or do it with your best you know, strength and wisdom on your own. But because God has made a covenant with you, it gives you an advantage. And, and uh, other people have to figure things out on their, their own. They're limited to their natural abilities. But you're not limited in your life to your natural abilities. You have a supernatural God who has given you favor and made promises to you that he will keep. And he will do things in your life that you can't accomplish on your own. Thank God for that. So today we're going to continue talking about the covenant advantage. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been part of the last two messages, or even if you have, go to iTunes and download those messages because we laid the foundation about the covenant that is so important, especially the fact that God is the one who made the covenant with us on his own, his own initiative. And so you want to, you want to go back on that. But today I'm going to continue talking about the covenant advantage. And we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, that you were bought at a price. You know, if you spend money on something, you'll spend as much money as you think that item is worth. For example, if someone came to you and said, I've got this house that I have got to sell. And, and you're looking at and you're thinking, that house is, is worth at least $200,000. And they say, I'll sell it to you for $80,000. Whether you have $80,000 or not at that moment, you're going to figure out a way to get $80,000 to buy that house because it is worth that. It has that value to you and more. But if someone comes to you with a brand new car that has an MSRP of $80,000, you might look at that and think, well, it's the same price, but it's not the same value. So I won't do whatever it takes to buy that car for $80,000. Sure, it may be really nice and the bells and whistles and a, and a great vehicle, but to me, it's not worth it. So I'm not going to extend myself or stretch myself to get $80,000 to pay for that. Why is it? It's not worth as much to you, but that house maybe was worth that much and more. And so you do whatever it takes to get it because it's valuable to you. Well, the Bible just said that you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. That means that your life is worth something. You have value. You have value to God because the Bible says that you belong to him. So he's the one that bought you. So what was that price that you were purchased with? Well, how much did you cost? How much gold and silver? Let's read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. It says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were not bought. God... How much would it cost to redeem you? God has all the money in the world, and that was not enough. 
All the silver and gold in the world was not enough to redeem you. You were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So how valuable are you to God? You think about someone, if, for example, the Mona Lisa, considered a priceless object of art, if you had the ability to acquire that, to purchase that, you'd be very proud of it. You'd want to show everybody. You'd even tell them how much it's worth and, and how much you got it for. But here's the deal about the Mona Lisa. Other people might come along and say, man, I mean, they, they didn't even put eyebrows on the lady and, and you know, it's kind of the paint's chipping it and it's not like, you paid that much for that? But yet, as the owner, you say, oh, I would have paid so much more. It's probably one of a kind. There's nothing else like it. And so you would be so excited about it in a very similar fashion where other people, including yourself, may not recognize how much value you have. God is looking at you and saying, you're one of a kind. You're all mine. I, I love you so much. I gave, I gave my own life. Jesus is saying, I gave my own life. You, it co- you cost my precious blood. I shed my blood for you. That's how much value you have. And so today I want to talk about that precious blood. Most of us are probably familiar with the concept of the blood of Jesus. Have you been around the church for a while or Christianity? You know, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? We know this song. We plead the blood. We're thankful for the blood. It's covered by the blood. You know, we say that. Well, what does that, what does that mean? Well, I want to talk about something you're probably definitely, most likely familiar with regarding the blood, but then I want to get a little bit beyond that as well. Uh, only blood can cleanse sin. That's what's so important about the blood. Only blood can cleanse sin. Jesus, in Matthew twenty six twenty eight, he said, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So the shedding of, of blood, blood had to be shed in order to wash away our sins. And, it, and the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. This is important because some people think that in order to get forgiveness and to be cleansed of our sins, you have to do something to earn it, or you really have to suffer for it. And that's not what God says. In order to be forgiven of sins, there's only one way. It's not through good deeds. It's not through baptism in water. It's not through saying the right words. It's through the shedding of blood. This is what caused our sins to be remitted or wiped out, washed away. And Jesus said, my blood, my blood is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus' blood is what did that for us. Only blood can cleanse sin. Why is that? Well, in Leviticus, the Bible tells us, chapter 17, verse 11, it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the souls. So the reason why we talk about the blood of Jesus is because the blood of Jesus is what washes away our sin. And the reason blood was shed is because God was saying that the life of the flesh, it's in the blood. It's in the blood. And so blood must be shed for the atonement there, for the, for the atonement for the soul. Atonement means covering. And so the blood of Jesus that covers the soul 
The blood had to be shed for that. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The cost of our sin, you know, the, the penalty, what we would have to pay for because of our sin is death. And so God instituted the sacrificial system that was pointing ultimately to Jesus. But in that day, the blood of an animal was, an animal was sacrificed, his blood was shed as a picture of what's going to happen with Jesus. But that blood, life was taken. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And so it's either gonna be your death or someone else's. And so God set up the process for the sacrifice that would cover you. However, the animal sacrifice was insufficient in the long run. The Bible said this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It says, Now when these things had thus been prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing services. So I have a little picture of a tabernacle up here I showed you a couple weeks ago. And you can see right here down to the right, see the little priest there, and then they go in through the first tent, and there's the showbread and, and the, the, the candles, the, the lights, and the altar of incense. That's the holy place. But up where it says the curtain divider, there's this curtain that divided the holy place from the most holy place. And this was in the tabernacle, it was in the temple, which, by the way, is a copy of what's in heaven. It was built according to the pattern of what Moses saw in heaven when he spent time with God. And so in heaven, this, uh, in, in some form or another, probably doesn't look exactly like our cartoon drawing here, but uh, in heaven, there's a, there's a temple of God. In heaven, there's a place where a sacrifice uh, was received. But behind that veil was called the most holy place. And you see, uh, kind of in there, it's, it's, it's blurry, but that's where the Ark of the Covenant is, and you'd have the angels uh, that were formed in gold, and they were overseeing it, their, their, their wings covering their face, and that was called the mercy seat right there. And so the, the high priest, let's get back to Hebrews, the high priest would go into that place one time a year, and it says in verse 7, but into the second part, or the Holy of Holies, the high priest went alone once a year, and not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So he would take a sacrifice of a lamb or bull or goat or something, and he would make it into that place, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle the blood, and he would go in there, and that blood would be a covering for him personally and for the people. And, and this was a sacrifice that was made pointing to the day when that sacrifice would be made by Jesus. Now, listen, we have a high priest today. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, it says this, but Christ came as high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. We have a high priest who went into a tabernacle that's not made with hands. So there's the picture that he's saying, Jesus didn't just go into the tabernacle or the temple on earth, but in heaven, something happened. And there's a tabernacle there that Jesus went into our, as our high priest. And remember on earth, the high priest had to go in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of himself and the people. Jesus was sinless. So he didn't have to offer a sacrifice on his own. On his own. Verse 12, it says, he went in not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So we get this picture here that Jesus, as our high priest, he went in with the sacrifice as the sacrifice. And his own blood 
was poured out on that mercy seat. Underneath the mercy seat, when you open that up, you know what was in there? Well, one thing that was in there were the Ten Commandments, the law of God, which was covered by the mercy seat, which was covered by the blood of Jesus, which is why the law will never perfect you. It's only the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says once for all. He did this one time, and he doesn't have to do it every year because his blood is perfect once for all. That's good news right there. That's one thing about the blood of Jesus that is, is powerful to know and understand and, and recognize. The blood of Jesus brings forgiveness or remission of sins. It brings atonement. But in the New Testament, really, the Bible says it's not just atonement because his blood doesn't just cover our sins. There's another word, propitiation, which means he washes them away completely, gets rid of them completely. So we can use that term atonement, and, and we, kind of, we understand what we mean, but, but it's more than that. It's important. Your sins are not simply covered by the Lord. They're washed away completely. Praise God for the blood, right? We're celebrating that in our communion. We're remembering that. But um, it's not just atoning blood. You need to understand this. I'm, I'm just laying a foundation because that's not what I want to talk about. If we stop there, that was good enough, right? But that's not, what, that's not where I want, I want to stop with you right there. Jesus entered in with innocent human blood washing away the sin. Um, but remember we just said in Leviticus chapter 7, the life of the flesh is in the blood. That, blood. that blood, when it's shed, all of a sudden it was saying something about the people. The priest would bring it in, and that blood, it meant something. It said something. When he came in, if he came in without the blood, oh, man, he's in trouble. He's going to die because he's right there in the presence of a holy God. But he comes in with the blood, and all of a sudden that blood says something about him. He's forgiven. He's atoned for. The people are atoned for. Let's look here in Genesis chapter 4, because I want to talk to you about the blood. Though you can't hear it, the blood speaks. Though you can't hear it, the blood speaks. In, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, there's a story about Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first two kids. And it says, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He got sassy with God, didn't he? Kind of smart mouth kid. Anyways, verse 10. And he said, he, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The word cries out can also be uh, translated calls out or commands or calls to me from the ground. Now, I don't know if you've ever given blood, uh, cut yourself, had a bloody nose, punched someone in the nose or whatever. I've seen blood, but I've never heard blood. I've never heard blood. But yet somehow God is saying, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me. Now, I've heard people, when they shed blood, cry out, ah, you know, or some people, oh. I know people who would pass out when they see blood. But God is saying, Abel was killed, his blood was shed on the ground, and the voice of his blood, remember the life is in the, the, life is in the blood, right? The voice of his blood is crying out to me. It cries out to me. Blood has a voice. It says something. We're talking about the blood, the precious speaking blood. But I want to I tell you, that's not the only time it makes mention of, of Abel speaking. And uh, we look here in, in Hebrews chapter 11. We understand that God hears the blood, the life of the flesh, when it's spilled. 
Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abel, and it says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. If you remember the story, it says this, that before Cain killed Abel, there was a time when Abel brought the first fruits of his flock, I mean, the firstborn of his flock to the Lord as an offering. And then Cain, in the process of time, brought some of his uh, crops, some of the, the fruit of the field. And some people have said, oh, it's because Abel brought a blood offering and Cain brought, you know, the, the fruit of the ground, and that's why God accepted Abel's. I don't think that's true because at other times in the Bible, God accepts, you know, grain offerings and so forth and wine and oil and, and all that. And there's no indication that God was saying, you can only offer blood to me. I think what God's really getting at right here is that Abel brought the firstborn. So he brought the first, whereas Cain brought an offering when he got around to it. And this is important for us when it comes to our presenting things to the Lord and our gifts, our offerings, is, is we put God first. We don't put him, like when I get around to it or if I have enough, we say, God, you're first, and we'll just decide if we have enough for those other people, right? But you, you come first. Well, Abel and Cain, they did this. Abel brought of this firstborn, Cain got, brought it when he got around to it. And some versions would say at the end of days, end of the month or whatever it would say, end of the week. So... He, he, uh, let's see, back in Hebrews, it says, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. He still speaks. That voice is crying out still to this day. We don't know exactly what, what he's saying, but it's not that he spoke and we remember it, but still speaks. It's present tense. It's happening today. This was written thousands of years after Abel, and uh, we're, we're a couple thousand years after it was written here. And yet it still speaks. His voice still speaks. God can hear what the blood is saying. Abel's blood is still speaking what he believes. He brought this offering to the Lord. God, you're first in my life. God, I'm covered by you, right? God, I, I trust you. God, you're, you're the Lord of my life. He brings this offering, and through it, it still speaks to us today. It still speaks to us today. Abel's blood is still speaking what he believes. He, uh, the English Standard Version says it like this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by... Uh, by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He still speaks. Cain cut him off, but he's still speaking. Did you know Jesus' blood speaks? Jesus' blood speaks. Now, I don't just mean that, hey, you know, and, and there's a message in the blood, but I'm saying that Jesus' blood still speaks. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24 says, you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. What are we talking about? The covenant advantage. And we're talking about Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. He is the go-between for both parties making that new covenant. Jesus is the mediator. He's the one who represents both sides. He represents God to you, but he represents you to God. That's good news because you don't want to be represented to God based on yourself. Here's the deal. If you go to court and you're on defense right there, they're going to they're gonna look at all your past, all these things. They're going to drill you, grill you, and you're, they're going to trip you up and get you to contradict yourself and, and basically 
demonstrate how guilty you are. That is the prosecutor's job right there. And, and so the best thing to do in that situation when you're going before God is don't try to defend yourself and don't even show up for court. I know in, on earth that's a bad, bad advice. So this isn't legal advice on earth, but this is legal advice in heaven. You don't want to show up to court there. You want Jesus to stand in and represent you, right? And not just as your uh, defense attorney, but you want him to be the one on the, on the stand, on, on trial there. You want him as that mediator, your representative. And you know what? That's what he is. That's how he operates with you. He's the mediator of this new covenant. And listen to this, though. Verse 24 goes on to say, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So whatever Abel had to say, and though it's good, the blood of Jesus is speaking better things right now. As the mediator of the new covenant, that sprinkling was sprinkled in the holy place, in the throne room of God, not on earth, but up there in the very presence of God, the mercy seat of God, right there at the throne room of heaven, the blood of Jesus was sprinkled there, and the blood of Jesus is saying something. Now, it's important what I'm telling you about the blood, but it's even more important what the blood is saying about you. The blood is speaking still. You think about a will. When somebody dies, before they die, they make a will. And, they, and through that, they make decisions. They give direction and instruction about what to, what to do with their stuff after they're dead. And that's binding. And so though they're dead, they're still speaking. They're still speaking and directing just because they're dead doesn't mean that they're silent. We have, a, we have a will of God. We have promises of God. We have provision of God, protection of God. We have instruction from the Lord. We have direction from the Lord. These are, these are the things that he put into effect. And after he died, and of course he resurrected, but that blood was shed, it's settled. It's settled. Now look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. Again, I've read it earlier, but Jesus said, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So again, this is not just atoning blood, but this is covenant blood. And oftentimes we only take advantage of the atoning blood of Jesus, but we forget that we have covenant blood It's not just for forgiveness, but it's for everything else that God has promised. Everything else. When Jesus shed his blood, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, this new promise that I'm making with you. Remember in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore, he put his will into effect, he said these things, he swore by himself saying, surely, blessing I will bless you. Surely multiplying, I will multiply you. This is when God was making covenant with Abraham and his descendant and descendants. But Hebrews chapter eight, verse six says, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Jesus, when he was shedding his blood, 
cutting covenant, the go-between in covenant between God and man. It's a better covenant than even Abraham had. It's a better covenant than even came through, through Moses or anyone else. It's a better covenant with better promises. And Jesus is the mediator of that. Jesus' blood he carried as the high priest inside the veil into the presence of God. And when he did that, his blood was swearing some things. Swearing that I, I will cover you. Swearing that I will cleanse you. Swearing that I'll forgive you. Swearing that I'll have mercy. Swearing that all your children will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace. Swearing that you and your whole household shall be saved. Swearing that all your needs will be supplied for by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Swearing that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work on the inside of you. The blood of Jesus is swearing these things. So it's not just atoning, but he's, he's swearing in, in, in this new covenant. It's speaking things. This is so important. This is so important. I'll tell you why. Because sometimes you come into the presence of God beat up. And sometimes you'll come in feeling guilty and ashamed and embarrassed. And you want to crawl on your hands and knees and say, God, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve forgiveness. I've blown it again. And I know I've said, I'm sorry a thousand times for this. And I just can't seem to get it. And and Lord, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over this. And you crawl in. And while you're speaking these things in the presence of God, there is a voice in heaven that starts to drown out your voice. It overrides your voice. And it's the blood of Jesus. And it's the blood of Jesus saying, oh, I swear he's forgiven. I swear that he's righteous. I swear he belongs to me. I swear that he's favored by me. And you can come in there and say, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if you're going to come through. And then the blood of Jesus starts to speak up and all the promises of God starts to speak on your behalf. You see, you're up there trying to tell God this and that, but the blood is speaking the mediator of the new covenant is speaking. We have an advocate with the father. Jesus is always advocating for you. He always has your best interest in mind. He is always trying to, 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 to bring about the absolute best for you. Never is he against you. Never is he wanting to resist you. If you get out of alignment with him, you know what he does? He does whatever it takes to get you back into alignment. Sure, there might be discipline. There might be correction. There might be a little pain associated with it, but it's not to bring you down. It's to bring you back. The blood of Jesus. This is our advocate that we have. The blood is speaking on your behalf in heaven right now. The living blood of Jesus. The life is right there. And the Bible says we have that precious blood of Jesus that speaks better things. Speaking better things. When we receive communion, in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? (laughs) The communion of the blood of Christ? What do you mean? Well, remember, we're accessing the promises of God in our time of communion. It's, it's like this. If you had a dinner date with Jesus, you're going to think, uh, I need something from him, right? I got some questions. I need some help. I'm going to come to the table and ask him about these things and ask him for them, right? It's communion. It's communion with him. But it's not just sitting down with him. It's communion with the blood of Jesus. Because in the blood of Jesus is where that covenant 
was cut. It was confirmed. And Jesus, the blood of Jesus, is speaking about the covenant. It says, we have fellowship. We have communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? That partnership, fellowship, that's what communion, the word communion means. 1 John 1.3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, koinonia, communion with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with God. We have communion. I talked to you about your voice in heaven, and sometimes when you're up there praying, your voice is incongruent with the voice of the blood. Your voice is incongruent with the voice of the blood. The good news is the voice of the blood speaks louder. The voice of the blood speaks louder. It's like this. Your kid comes to you, you know, this would be a miracle that they recognize all their sins and faults, right? Like, I really blew it and, and I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have done it. But then they go on to say, uh, you know, and, and I'm just such a mess up. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm not, I'm not worth anything. I'm never going to do anything right. And what happens immediately? Do you get in there and say, you're right, Johnny. In fact, you're a mistake. Those words would crush you or crush your, your, your son. You know, you immediately as a parent, your words go into action and say, oh, oh, don't even say that. You're not a failure. You're not, you're not a mess up. Yeah, you, made, you, you blew it here, but guess what? I love you. I forgive you. We're going to get this right. No, you're, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for what God's doing in your life right now. I'm proud of you that you came to me. I'm proud of you that you're, you're recognizing this, and, and, and you've got what it takes. You've got what it takes. You're going to speak those words. That's what's happening when sometimes our words are incongruent with the blood of Jesus, and, and that's what's happening in heaven. But I want you to know there's your voice, there's Jesus's voice, but right now there's also another voice. In Revelation chapter 12, we're probably familiar with this verse. It's talking about something that's yet to, to, to be. Um, but but he, he, he brings out some things that we need to see in Revelation chapter 12. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren, everybody say accuser of the brethren. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So this is something that is future going to happen. It's looking at it at the point it happens. But he says, the accuser of our brethren. The Bible says Satan is your adversary. Did you know that Jesus is not your adversary? Jesus is your advocate. Satan is your adversary. And the Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And he goes before, and I don't know why and how all this happens or what it looks like and what the schedule is up there. But I know day and night, the Bible says that the devil, the, he comes and he accuses God's people against them. He accuses them to God day and night. And he's sitting there saying, they don't believe God. Oh, they're messing up. Did you see what they did? They didn't do the right thing there. Did you see what they said? Did you see what thoughts? Did you see what they, they watched? Did you see how they act? Did you see how they're living? They're not going to do it. They're not going to follow you. They're not listening to you. Constantly accusing you before God. And you know what the sad, even a sadder thing is? Is that some of you can hear him accusing you. 
And those same thoughts run through your mind. You're never going to make it. You're never going to have a a good family. You're never going to have a good job. You're never going to have a good marriage. You're never going to have a good relationship with Jesus. You're never going to be able to overcome this. You're never going to be able to get free from that. You're never going to accomplish the plan of God in your life. You're always going to get just to that point of breakthrough, and then you're going to fall apart. Some of you hear that voice. I want you to understand that is the work of the accuser of the brethren. That's not even you. That's not you. You're redeemed. You're a new creation. You've got the spirit of God on the inside of you. You've got to renew your mind, but you've got to put to silence that voice right there. But listen, we hear it on earth, but it's constant up in heaven right now. There is an accuser who is trying to discredit you constantly before God. He is so mad that you are forgiven, you are cleansed, and that God gives you second and third and three thousandths chances. And so he's always trying to bring that before God. But listen to what the next part of the verse says. It talks about how we overcome him. It says that the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by what? By the blood of the lamb. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the lamb. Why is that? What do you mean? Is it just because the blood atoned for their sins? No. I'll tell you why. Because there's a lot of believers that are born again and forgiven and they're not overcoming The blood is speaking some things about them. They're forgiven, but that's not all there is to it. It says they overcame them by the blood of the land and what? The word of their testimony. So all of a sudden, the blood of the lamb is speaking something about you. And then your words come into alignment with the blood of the lamb. And suddenly there's victory. This is better than you're going like this to. I'm telling you. This is amazing. And not because I'm saying, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, God, help me bring it like you're saying it. Because there's something about the blood of the lamb that is speaking. But just because the blood of the lamb is speaking, that's not all there is to it. God is saying, you have got to bring your heart and your words into alignment. And that's where your victory is at. That's, you know, you're, you're forgiven. You're blessed of the Lord. Yeah, you know, God receives you and welcomes you. But that isn't just what everything you need for victory. I'm stumbling over what I'm saying because I want to get it all out and it's in here and I can't just make it. I want two mouths right now to say it at the same time. You catch this? There's something that God is saying and this is like, I don't say hidden like no one else gets it. I'm saying it's one of those, those nuggets that you mine for and all of a sudden you find treasure and you catch something that for years you've been saying this verse of we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we think that that might just mean getting up and giving testimony, but it's not just that. It's when you come into the throne room of God and you hear, you listen first, what's the blood of the lamb say about me? What is the blood of Jesus saying? What does the covenant say? And before I start to go to God and point out all the things where it hasn't come to pass yet, I first go to God. God and say, well, what do you say? And then instead of complaining and worrying my prayers to God and saying, oh God, we're not going to make it another month. Oh God, it's all going to fall apart. I go to the word and I just speak in agreement with what God says. And I overcome the accuser who says, you're not going to make it because Jesus says it and I'm saying it right there. And when those two come together, there's victory. 